I'm Norman Thuracht from Pitcher Pharmacy, and I'm joined by Simon Reynolds, founder of Pharmacy Alliance and director of Platform Alliance Group. Welcome, Simon. Thanks, Norman, and great to be here today. Simon, the last couple of years have been really interesting for the industry, uh, and you've you've had a couple of exciting years yourself in terms of business. Um, for our listeners, could you just step us through the last couple of years for yourself before we talk about the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the last two years has thrown up a number of challenges. Um, sort of like a lot of pharmacists, we've, you know, we've experienced a lot of pressures that we've been unprecedented. So I'm not going to talk about COVID today because I think COVID's been spoken about enough, but there's, there's you know, um, been a lot of challenges, but as I've said, also a lot of opportunities. So for us, um, I guess we've, we've been through a process of aggregation where Pharmacy Alliance has, has merged with the pharmacy platform business which, as I've, as I've said earlier, it, it's sort of, it's a way where, you know, you've got your biggest competitor and, and I guess we've come together to form the largest independent uh, group within Australia, which is nearly 1,200 pharmacies strong and brought together like-minded independent pharmacy owners. That's fantastic, uh, Simon. I think it's a great opportunity for the industry as well. Um, if, we, if we do, not, not saying the word COVID, but if we just look at the, um, your member base over the last couple of years... What have been the biggest challenges for that group of um, owners? Absolutely. I think from our point of view and independent pharmacy owners' point of view, the, the pressures that's been on independent pharmacy owners have been un- never seen before. So in terms of um, shortages in the workforce, whether it be pharmacists or pharmacy assistants, just trying to get a full complement of, of staff um, on the floor to be able to serve and, and serve our customers and patients has been very, very challenging. And I think compounding that as well is the the minimum wage that we you know that pharmacists are actually receiving, and and I'm, personally I think we are really undervalued in terms of, of pharmacists, and and I think that's now beginning to show where we're starting to lose pharma- good pharmacists out of profession into other areas, and I think also um, the other you know point to sort of make through that is. Um, just the, the pressures that certainly my business partners in pharmacies that I'm an owner in, the pressures they've been under, uh, just trying to get medicines and supply of medicines into the store through various challenges, but also, as I've said, getting the workforce to be able to serve their customers. And they actually take it personally because they actually care about their communities and, and care about their customers and not being able to give the service or, or have the products available when they need them is, has been really distressing. It's a great point you make, uh, Simon. I, I think in community pharmacy, the owners do have this sense of pride um, mm-hmm. and desire to actually uh, look after their patients. And I think that, that equally makes you tired when you know you're not necessarily able to do your best. Absolutely. But having said that, out of, out of um, challenges come opportunities. Um, and so the last two years, if we think back to March 2020, March, April, May, I beg pardon, 2020, you were receiving faxed scripts. Uh, you were chasing owing scripts. Uh, we've seen the implementation of eScript since then. You know, w- what are some of the opportunities that you see through the network? Uh, certainly now that you've got a broader network over the last two years, what, what do you think the opportunities have come from that? Absolutely. I think for our group again, um, we've been very fortunate through COVID geographically where the stores are located. So there's been a massive change back to localisation. So back to more um, shopping in your local suburb or your local demographic, um, going into a, into a pharmacy or, or any store where you feel safe 
So you don't necessarily want to go into a, a big box store where it's cluttered with people and product. You actually want to go into a store that makes you feel healthy and refreshed and, and, and more importantly, safe. So the push of population out of CBDs back to regional rural areas and back to the suburbs where a lot of our pharmacies are located is actually seeing increase in footfall and increase in, in script numbers back to these locations. And then it's up to, to us as the independent pharmacy owners to then put our best foot forward and then keep those customers. So we're actually seeing a lot of new faces coming to our stores and and then it's up to our teams to show them what we can do and show them that there's there's value shopping locally and also having that local relationship with the consumer. Yeah, the, the interesting thing you talk about there is that customer growth um, opportunity, you know, in a, in a period of zero population growth, really we're cutting up the pie differently. So if you're getting growth, you're taking that clearly from someone else, uh, which, is, which is a clear win. So there are opportunities to make the customer sticky. The Guild have done an exceptional job um, through this period. If we think back to 2020 and the signing of the seventh agreement, um, very challenging times, no doubt, for them, but uh, in our view, a great outcome for pharmacy. But they haven't stopped there. Since um, signing the seventh agreement, they've continued to challenge the the proposition of uh, delivery of services and uh, broader scope for pharmacists. Simon, can you just tell me um, how the group and how some of your members have applied some of these opportunities, even though we still have price disclosure going on the background, which is impacting profit. Yeah, the full scope of practice, which has been spoken a lot about recently, is actually utilising the 6,000-odd pharmacies that we've got, you know, in, in specific geographical locations all around Australia. Yes. To enable the pharmacist to provide a full scope of practice, we, you know, we go to university, we get a degree for four years, and, and we use only part of our degree. So... Mm-hmm. For example, the you know the vaccination, the rollout of the COVID vaccinations and now other vaccinations um, would have been unheard of, you know, five seven years ago. So nice. programs like this is is only enhancing, I guess, the reputation and the skill set of pharmacists. But also, um, we need to be able to support the stores better in, in rolling out these services. So whether it's through you know our team of people that help stores refit in terms of their clinics and what they need to do in store in consulting rooms or whether it's actually around systems and procedures. And, you know, rather than a 1,000 pharmacies write their own systems and procedures, we can provide, you know, a suite of systems, manuals and and, and documentation to be able to support this, the, the teams in store. So we have a team of dedicated pharmacists that are employed by Platform Alliance that actually go into the pharmacies and help, help the stores that are maybe less capable or less confident in rolling out these systems and, and being able to hold their hand through that process. Yeah, that's that's great, Simon. In terms of the group and the disparity of the geography, you know, I, I know, for example, that your pharmacies, your original pharmacies, were in WA, but you're you're actually residing in Melbourne. And given the disparity of the locations, how do you get a level of consistency of delivery mm. for the customer? Yeah, look, it's a great question, Norman. I, ideally. You want, you know, from my personal point of view, is that you really want an owner in the pharmacy, and and I'm a big believer in that. We we need to get the next generation of pharmacy owners, and you know, there's only a certain number of pharmacies in the country. Uh, there's only so much funding available. The prices of pharmacies are going up, and we need a pool of pharmacists that are younger, that are more dynamic, that have that have more engaged in the consumer and the professional services. But we need to be able to help them get into pharmacy ownership. And 
Um, something that I'm passionate about is getting younger pharmacists into ownership and also um, changing that the shift into more, particularly more female owners um, into pharmacy ownership as well. So in terms of that, back, back to the original question around the consistency, I think it's, a, it's about having these, um, you know, owners in store that are motivated to do these services um, on a consistent basis and then have the support from a head office where they're given the tools and resources which have a degree of consistency. Uh, obviously, being independent pharmacy owners, you want to allow that individuality at a store level to suit their local demographic. So it doesn't have to be so rigid, but to be able to give that... Um, I guess the world's best practice, pick out the best parts of them and, and then give that continuity around that. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And, and Simon, we would agree the opportunity for succession of the industry is, is fantastic. And certainly through our database of numbers, we see the best performing stores are always the ones where the owners are present, uh, without a doubt. If we just focus for a moment now coming out of the last couple of years and those opportunities, what, what are some of the biggest challenges that that the brand now has, and, and if we talk about the brand, we're talking about the merged business that you now operate of Platform Alliance. What are the biggest opportunities um, and challenges around the customer engagement piece that the group face? Given where we're at as an industry, and I think one of the most, and you would certainly agree with this being in your accounting background, is, is data. And, yes. you know, the problem with data and all data is it's all historical. So we can look at data at a point in time and we can say, oh, that was great. We, we, we should have stopped more of this category because the data showed that. However, it's always too late. Yes. So it's been able to predict the consumer trends and, and COVID has shown us that in terms of these new, new categories that have emerged through pharmacy. And so I think we need to get better at interpreting the data and then predicting the, the next sort of trend around that, whether it's um, diabetes or immunology or um, defence or whatever we need to be involved in and using, I guess, the combined knowledge of the group um, and, and all the brains trust and even our supplier partners outside of the group to, to leverage off that strength. The other point to make, I think, is the brands in pharmacy at the moment are, are it's still very fragmented and, and they're very still quite niche. So trying to have a brand that avoids the confusion to consumers, consumers want to walk into a pharmacy and there's certain expectations, whether it's, you know, convenience or localization or, or price or service. Yes. So, um, and one of the challenges that we've got that I sort of won't shy around is that we now have got a suite of brands in our, in our portfolio. Um, and it's yes. our job to be able to communicate that not only to the business owners, but to consumers around what those brands stand for. Yeah. The customer, the customer engagement piece is key to it. You touched on it before in relation to, that localization opportunity. Uh, do you see that as a as a competitive advantage of yours? Absolutely. I think localization, convenience is still the number one consumer drivers. It's about what do we do with that consumer once they walk past the lease line into the store. And how do we merchandise the stores? How do we retail our stores? What do we want to be known for? What do we want to be seen as as heroes of? One of the programs that we launched through uh, the last couple of years was our Healthcare Heroes campaign, which is all about, you know, seeing that local independent pharmacy owners as the hero of their community, whether it's delivering that product late at night, whether it's, you know, going above and beyond to to get a product in for them, to to um, do whatever is required um, to make that consumer happy and come back to the pharmacy. And, and as you said earlier, it's that sense of pride that these owners have in their in their job and, and what they 
actually feel responsible for. And you're seeing that in the patient response being return visits more often? Yeah, look, the data's strong. The stores that have participated in Healthcare Heroes are seeing um, well north of double-digit increase in those categories that we've been promoting through that, which have, have been diabetes and immune and, and other areas that um, have been specific around the campaigns. So, you know, it, early early days at the moment, but it is shown that, that the Healthcare Heroes campaign is, is working. We've seen certainly over the last two years, and you would have too, this this focus of the customer coming to pharmacy for health. So some of those other non-pharmacy specific categories have started to drift. Have you seen similar across your network, even though some are rural and remote? Absolutely. Certainly the non, you know, you can't push your walls out any further than what they are. So you've got a limited amount of space and and trying to educate. Once again, it's an education piece, you know, the gifts in the corner or the, the toys in the, you know, in the, in the back corner and, it's saying, well, you know, let's look at the data. What does the data show? But also let's, you know, what do we want to be famous for? What do we really want to tell our local area that, that we stand for? Do we want to be a, a gift shop or a toy shop or do we want to be a pharmacy and be a health destination, which then yes. provides the opportunity for the services piece to come in, which we all know is is going to be the future of, of the next skilled government agreement and, and beyond that. So if we look back up to the head office rather than the community pharmacy, what, what are you doing in terms of um, driving change and what are you leveraging into the stores to really help them get the growth and keep the customers sticky? Yeah, look, that is, a, that is definitely a challenge. Um, I think, you know, buying is one thing where you're going to make sure you buy right and, and you have the tools around merchandising and layout and, and design. But they're almost hygiene factors now where, you've, yes. you know, you've, you've got to be running your GP at a, at a minimum GP percentage to, to, to show up. Yes. And it's like, how can you grow my business and how can you keep those customers sticky is, I guess, all the basic retail principles, which is around loyalty programs, marketing, um, having the right product at the right price when the consumer walks through the door. Um, but ultimately, what's something I'm passionate about is it's something that was instilled in me as a young pharmacist was, was that personalised service and creating those relationships with the consumers and, and knowing who their family are, knowing their children, knowing their parents, and then having, I guess, a breadth of services that the other retailers can't provide, whether that's an after-hours delivery service or whether that's, you know, a mother care nurse or a, um, or a, a naturopathy in store providing a real breadth of services so they, they have no reason to go elsewhere. And I think in addition to that, um, just touch on price just briefly. I think, you know, we need to be better as an industry to not have the price gouging that happens out there. We don't want to be discounters. We should never discount our our services and, and our value. However, we, we need to have a, a platform where we're giving value to the consumer at all times. And I think that's going to ultimately, those things in unison is going to really keep the consumer sticky. And the group, so if we just look at that margin topic, and that's a really interesting point because we're living in an inflationary environment, right? So so the cost of goods will increase. Right? So if we go back to the use of data, um, knowing that costs will increase, is the group looking at how to help the community pharmacy manage margins, maintain them to a certain point to cover the overheads? Yeah, look, Obviously, we can go back to our supply base, but you can only tap yes. your suppliers yes. so much. One of the yep. things that we do talk to our suppliers about is the cost of service. As independent pharmacies are very fragmented, but now as a group of 1,200 stores, it actually makes us a, a lower cost model to talk to a supplier to be able to get distribution and stock ranged in a uniform manner across those stores. 
However, we know that well is only so deep and we can only go back to get that, maintain that margin for a period of time. Um, and then it's about looking at the, the GP mix, once again, looking at the category mix through the pharmacies, but also looking at the retail pricing and, and saying, well, look, we're going to have to reduce prices here to remain competitive. However, we may be able to look at you know, adjusting prices in other areas where we can maintain margin as well. So that strategic pricing uh, option, I'm, I'm sure, will help the members. Yes, yeah. And then look at you know things outside products such as costs and whether it's you know some some help in renegotiating their rent um, through the negotiators that we have that we've partnered yes. with. Looking at other costs, um, maybe they could they could be a little bit more efficient with their with their wages and payroll and and how they run that, which I'm sure you're familiar with. You know, as a member based organisation where, you know, you, you've got to make sure you deliver for each and every one of those 1,200 stores because if we don't, then they're going to walk with their feet and, and ultimately leave the group. A pharmacy group of 1,200 is, in our mind, uh, an opportunity to share information and ideas, right, as opposed to being a smaller group where you're sort of narrowing your opportunity. 1,200 is a significant number. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think, you know, we're not arrogant enough to know that, you know, we've got all the answers. And we certainly don't have all the answers. And I think the more the collaboration between ourselves and, and other industry partners and we can sort of have more discussions around, you know, what are you seeing, what are we seeing, and, 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 and through the data, very big believer in, you know, it needs to be that the, the basis of the data to actually show what we're looking at and then through that collaborate and then everyone benefits. Yes. I assume that's why you kept the alliance in the name. Yes, correct. One final question uh, is, um, Simon, for our audience, uh, how do you see the future of pharmacy? The, the future's bright. Um, I, I, I see that, you know, this generational shift of, of young owners coming into the industry is exciting. Uh, there's going to be more around full scope of practice, more around professional services, more about utilising our skills. Um, and, and showing to Australia, showing to the government that we're adding value across the healthcare chain Providing we can do that, we're going to have a sustainable model that's going to go well into the 9th, 10th, 11th Guild Government Agreement. That's fantastic. Thank you, Simon. Thanks, Norman. I'm Norman Thurick from Pitcher Pharmacy, and I've been in conversation with Simon Reynolds. 